Our scripture reading before the lesson this morning will come from Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. If you'd like to follow along on your pew Bibles, you can find it on page 896. Again, that's Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth, for there is one God, and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, as more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. But after no one dared question him. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope we can be an encouragement to you. We're thankful for the opportunities that God gives us to serve Him, and one of the great opportunities that some of you already have uh, learned about during the Involvement Sunday is our opportunity to mentor to elementary school students right here in our community. Uh, you're invited to get in touch with Sean Owens or Jason Haley, and you can do both uh, in person, of course, or through email at the mountainjuliet.org uh, email address. And some of you have taken information about that, which also includes background checks uh, during the Involvement Sunday. And so, of course, you're asked to get that back in. If others of you want to learn about that, it's where you are willing to give an hour or two each week uh, to a young person in our community. It might be eating lunch with them. It might be just visiting with them helping them on homework or a project, but definitely making an investment in a soul. And what a wonderful opportunity that is. And we appreciate these men and their leadership of that and all that are going to be involved in that. Also, we're thankful that Don Humphrey is home from uh, spending three weeks in Sudan. We're thankful for the work that's done there in the preaching school and the clinics and in the refugee camps and the mission work that is done there and possibly even the maternity care uh, that may develop in time that also would be a big help. But we're thankful Don has made it home safely. We're thankful that the ladies retreat is coming up this weekend. It'll leave out on Friday and it is full to capacity and we're thankful for the ladies of this congregation and the good that they do and the strength that they provide this congregation. And speaking about retreats, we have our high school students on retreat right now in Panama City. And uh, they're on a beach retreat and this is a neat picture of them uh, studying the Bible on, on the beach and uh, they are going to come back early. They, since tomorrow's President's Day, they were going to stay through tomorrow, but due to the weather that's moving in early Monday morning, uh, they're going to come back and be back tonight. 
I want to ask you again, uh, have you started yet uh, accepting the challenge in February uh, to take and, and write out in Deuteronomy 6 the Shema in your own handwriting and, and uh, say it every morning, morning and night, and post it where it can be seen. Yeah, this past week, uh, one of our young couples sent this Sunday afternoon and, and showed where they posted it in their uh, kitchen. Another person sent Monday where they posted it at their workplace, and then I, I put it also where I work. I don't know if you know where I work, but I posted it where I work also at my door. And, uh, you know, the thing that is amazing is how powerful it is to write it out and then to say it first thing every morning and last thing uh, in the evening. Uh, on this next slide, you'll see an address. That's my uh, email. If you will, uh, take a picture where you posted yours and, and send me a, a picture of it. I'd love to run several of those tomorrow in the e-messenger anonymously, but it'd be neat to just see the various places. These are posted all throughout our community right now and especially throughout our homes and workplaces. So I want to encourage you to do that and we can share a way to encourage everybody else. And then I'll just say one more thing. If you haven't been saying that first thing in the morning and last thing in the evening, I want to encourage you to do so. I don't know how to verbalize what it does. Any of us that have been doing it, I guess you would join in with me of saying it is powerful. It makes a difference in, in our life when the first thing we're saying in the morning is our commitment to love God with all of our being and keep His commandments hid in our heart. And, and when that's the close of the day, and uh, it, it's just amazing how that's on your mind as, as you're going to sleep. And if you have not done that, I want to I challenge you to take the challenge to spend the rest of February. And you just might want to do that even beyond February, but obviously that'll be up to you. But would you at least join in February and let's all do that and see the spiritual growth that takes place in our life. That will leave a mark. Have you ever did something or experienced something that you kind of cringed and you're like, oh, that's not going to be good? Maybe with some really muddy boots, you stepped on a light color carpet and you immediately think, that's going to leave a mark. Or maybe you've seen a foul ball come up to the face and you think, that's going to leave a mark. Or maybe you've seen that shopping cart moving at a high rate of speed across the parking lot and you think to yourself, that's going to leave a mark. Have you ever considered that God gives his people a principle to live out that will always leave a mark? It'll leave a mark of identity. In the religious world today, there are many things that individuals wear that leaves marks of identity. The hijab or the veil that many Muslim women wear. And when we see that, we immediately think of their religion because of this religious tradition. Many of the men will wear a turban and the same thing. Because of that tradition, we may identify them with that religion. Or the yarmulke, which is not really the technical way to pronounce that, but it's the most common way that the, the skull cap is pronounced uh, in our society. That, that is the way that a Jewish man says, uh, I pledge my allegiance or I revere or give reverence to the king of my life. Or maybe we see a nun and we just expect to see them now in their habit uh, because of the tradition that's been developed through the years in their religion. Or maybe if it's a male leader, we expect to see a clerical collar uh, in place. Perhaps you don't even recognize the face of a pope, but you almost always recognize the pope because of the apparel that he wears. 
or maybe the Amish individuals. You may not know them personally, but when you see them because of their clothing, you recognize the simplicity and the modesty of their clothing and you say, that's a mark. I, I recognize them. The Latter-day Saints even have garments that they wear under their clothes that is a mark of identification for them personally and their faith and their commitment to God. And so I pause now at this time and say, what about you? God's given you a requirement, something that you are to wear. It's something that is to be obvious to everyone, and it cannot be missed. Just like these items of clothing that we've seen, that whenever they are worn, you, you just can't miss it. You immediately recognize it and you identify it to a religion. And so this morning I ask you, as we go in and study the New Testament and we see Jesus' disciples and we see the church develop and we see the teaching that the church followed, there was a mark of identity that everyone was to wear. And it's unmistakable. No one else in the world wears this on a consistent basis except people who are children of God. Turn with me, if you will, to John the 13th chapter as we begin this study. In John the 13th chapter, Jesus has just celebrated the Passover and he got up from the Passover and he washed the feet of the disciples, which was the most humiliating position in all of the house to wash the dirty feet. He's on his way to give himself on the cross to die for mankind. And it's between these two events that he pauses to teach many things. But one of the things that he teaches is that there's a mark of identity that people will always know who his disciples are. Look in John 13 and verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Jesus says there's a mark of identity. The way you love others will clearly identify whether or not you are my disciple or not. We may look at some of the other religions that we've mentioned, and, and I'm not suggesting to you that their only mark of identity is their clothing. But yet, when you see those items of clothing, you immediately think of their religion. Do you realize that even though perhaps someone might here might say, well, I've never really thought about that, and I, and I don't mean this to, to be demeaning to you, but I'm saying simply because we haven't thought about it doesn't take away from the significance and the power of it. Do you realize that if people cannot see the love of Christ in us, we aren't Christians. We are not what God is calling us to be. We are not wearing the conduct that God would ask of us. And then what he does is he takes this teaching that he had already taught previously, and it even goes back to the old law. And we'll put all this together this morning. But, but notice, he, he puts all this together, but, but then he raises it. He says, let me give you a new commandment. And it's not that it's brand new. It's just one element of this commandment is new. Notice as he raises the high standard, look back again in verse 34, when he says, a new commandment that I give you, you love one another, as I have loved you. That's the high standard. That's the newness of it. We, as the human race, have been commanded to love and care for each other pretty much since the beginning. And Jesus even brought that to the forefront in his teachings. But now, just before he dies, he raises the bar and he says, how are you supposed to love one another? 
I want you to love one another the way I have loved you. I have just washed your feet. I am on my way to die for you. I want you to love others with the same servanthood, with the same sacrificial will, even to be willing to lay down your life for another. That is a mark of identity. Francis Schaeffer wrote a book several decades ago about the mark of Christianity. And here's a quote out of that book. Love and the unity it attests to is the mark Christ gave Christians to wear before the world. Only with this mark may the world know that Christians are indeed Christians and that Jesus was sent by the Father. As we study this high calling, this great expectation that God has for us, will you join me in studying a few scriptures and seeing the beauty of how they fit together to teach us of this high calling of loving all. Let's go to Mark the 12th chapter. In Mark the 12th chapter, beginning at verse 28, we read about a scribe coming to Jesus. If you look there in Mark 12 and 28, and what we're about to read, many of us have probably read and studied before, and so they naturally fit together. You already know maybe what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the first and the second commandment. And we just naturally think, sure, the, the first one's about loving God, the second one's about loving others. I would suggest to you that there was a time where maybe that was not such a natural fit. It was Jesus' teaching that made that a natural fit. But let's read this here in Mark the 12th chapter 28. Then one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together, perceived that he had answered them well, asked them, which is the first commandment of all? In other words, what is the greatest? What is the most important commandment? And Jesus would not have probably surprised them with his answer because you remember he went back to the Shema out of Deuteronomy the sixth chapter and he said, I want to go back to that. You've been quoting it since you were little children. You've said it over and over in religious services. But I want to tell you that is the first and the greatest commandment. And so notice how he answers it in 29. The first of all the commandments is here, Shema, here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now notice, we usually jump right into the next verse, to love God with all our being. And that's a very, very important verse, and it's a great verse to jump into, but I want to remind you, it starts with, do you know who God is? He's one God. You can't pledge your allegiance to Him, and I'm going back now to Deuteronomy 6 in, in mindset, okay? You can't pledge your allegiance to God and the gods that were back in Egypt that you grew up around or your family, your parents grew up around. You can't pledge your allegiance to God and the God of all these neighboring nations that are around you that many of their gods are going to present sensual things that's going to be very tempting to say, I want to learn more about their God and so what Moses is calling Israel to do, and now here we are through Christ, we are a spiritual Israel. And, and what Christ is calling us to do, are you going to serve the one God? You and I cannot have split allegiance. Are we going to serve the one God? Okay, so I get it. You want me to serve only you. 
How much of me? And then notice the, the next part of the reading reveals that it's all of us. See there in 30, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first and great commandment. Lord, no split allegiance to you. And how much of me? No split allegiance within me. In other words, all of my being, I give to you the one God. And then Jesus adds to this. And again, I, I just want you to think about this. Under the old covenant, they would have been very familiar with where Jesus ended right there. But then for Jesus just to closely connect it, it might have been kind of like an aha moment. I can't tell you it was this way for certain. I don't know and nobody else knows. But it very well could have been that many of the Jews hearing Jesus teach this, it might have been that when he states this next statement, they might have thought, I never thought about those two verses together. Because then he jumps from Deuteronomy 6 over to Leviticus, the 19th chapter. Look at verse 31. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. He says, you think of every commandment that's out there. There's not going to be one greater than the second and the first. Now, there is one greater than the second. Love others. Very important. But what's most important is that we love God. And in loving God, we learn how to love others. In other words, what I need to gain from today's lesson is that it is impossible for me to truly love others the way God expects me to love others unless I'm first loving God in the way that God expects me to love Him. Jesus, in this teaching that we're reading right now, is going to interlock the first and second greatest commandment, and he's going to throw the key away. It's going to be interlocked tighter than it ever has been previously, and it will, until Jesus comes again, be two commandments that are interlocked together. Now, you know what's beautiful? It's for those that would have known the Scripture... What he said in words here would have been powerful, but in context would have been even with a greater power. In other words, Leviticus, the 19th chapter, is a powerful passage to teach us when we would say, well, God, when you say love your neighbor, I, I hear you. But what does that look like lived out on a day-to-day -day basis? Now, pause there for a minute. We're not asking, hey, person, what would you say loving your neighbor looks like? What would I say love? We're not asking that. We're saying, God, if we're going to love you with all of our being, what would you teach us about loving our neighbor? Turn with me, if you will, to Leviticus, the 19th chapter. Let's scan some verses here. And the reason I say scan is we need to cover several to really get the, the, uh, the beauty of this. And so we'll scan the, about the first half of this chapter. But I'd like for you to notice in Leviticus, the 19th chapter, in verse 1 and 2, uh, well, it's going to be in Leviticus 19 and verse 18 that we're getting to. And that's where he concludes this paragraph about the way we treat others. And he finally just says, love your neighbor as yourself. And so this is what Jesus was quoting out of as Jesus was giving the teaching of the second greatest commandment. And I'd like for you to notice how it starts. Now, if this sounds a little bit redundant, I will say, I think I accomplished today what I hope to accomplish today. What I want us to accomplish today is the idea that I, we cannot imagine the second commandment separate from the first. 
If, if today in Scripture we're convicted of that, we have learned something very powerful because then what's going to happen? You remember the second commandment is how we love others. If I realize I can't practice the second commandment until I first practice the first commandment, and that's love God with all my being, that means tomorrow when I go to the workplace, I'm going to treat everybody around me in the workplace based upon how God, first grace commandment, wants me to treat them. I'm going to go home this afternoon and the people that live in my house, I'm going to treat them first based upon I love God with all of my being. How does God want me to treat them? And my neighbor that lives on the right or the left of me that really is a pretty mean neighbor and they're very, very difficult to deal with, I'm going to go home and I'm going to deal with them first based upon who my God is and how God would want me to treat enemies and people that are very difficult and people that bring harm into my life. You see, the idea of separating and disjointing or disconnecting the first and second commandment rips all of the value and the depth out of the second commandment. So where do you think Leviticus 19 is going to start? With that in mind, it's no surprise, is it? Look at verse 1 and 2, where in verse 1 he's telling Moses to tell the congregation. Look what he's telling them to tell them. You shall be holy. Why? Now we're going back in, in a sense to the first grace commandment. For I, the Lord, your God, am holy. In other words, he says, I want to talk to you about the way you're going to interact with others, but I want to remind you the way you're going to interact with others is because of who I am. He says, I'm who? The Lord, your God. You see, that goes back to the first grace commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God. The Lord is one. And then what are we going to do if he's one? We're going to love him with all of our being. And so what does he say here? He's saying, I'm going to ask you to interact with others in a holy fashion because I'm the Lord your God and I'm holy and I want you to be holy just like I am holy. So we always have the standard of the second commandment linked back to the first commandment because of who God is. Is the, why, is, is the reason why we treat people the way we would treat them as Christians. And that's going to leave a mark that always identifies us as belonging to God in the way we treat others. So we go to the third verse and we see that we're commanded to revere or love our parents. What about if your mother and father is not such a good person? Well, it doesn't matter because it's not about based upon who your parents are. Look how this verse ends. Every one of you shall revere his mother or father and keep my Sabbaths. Why? I am the Lord your God. See, all of this that he's going to teach is going to eventually be summed up in love your neighbor as yourself, but then it's going to be continually brought into perspective. You're doing this because of who your Lord is. First and sec first greatest commandment establishes the standard for the second greatest commandment. Then we drop down to verse 9. How are we going to interact with the poor? We're supposed to love the poor because we're supposed to love our neighbors. And see there in 9, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field. You shall not gather the gleanings of your harvest. The idea of gleanings of your harvest is that you don't go back over the second and third time and comb up the extra. In other words, you go through your harvest and then you know you've left some behind and you've left that behind. You're not going to clean up because you're going to let the poor come in behind you. You're going to invite them into your fields and let them have that. Why would you do that? Same way in the vineyard when you're Collecting the grapes in verse 10. Notice the end. Why would you do that? Look at the end of verse 10. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. Why? 
I am the Lord your God. Notice, he, he doesn't say, because that poor and the stranger that live next door, they are such good people. That's why you leave it for them. He doesn't say, you are such a thoughtful person. That's why you leave it for them. I was just born that way. My grandmother was the most thoughtful person. That's why I do that. God says, no. You do this because of who your God is. Not because who you are, not because of who they are, but it is kind of who you are, but it's who you are in God. Because of whom you have become in God. Look, let's continue reading. Look at verse 11. We don't steal, we don't deal falsely, nor lie to one another. Why? Why do we not do that? Look at the end of 12. I am the Lord your God. Look at verse 13. You don't cheat your neighbor. You don't rob your neighbor. And, and notice that robbery is even tied into paying wages. And, and this is a little bit different from most of the traditions that we're used and accustomed to today. This, this was in the day, in the time period, where you hired people based on a day's wage. And so you'd go out to the marketplace and say, hey, I need five people to work my vineyard today. And you bring them in. At the end of the day, you didn't say, come back to me Friday and I'll pay, I'll pay you guys. No. God said, at the end of the day, you pay them. You might not see them tomorrow. You might not see them Friday. You know what? That man needs to go home and he needs to feed his family today. You have the means. Don't take advantage of the poor. I remember one time seeing a fella that owed a, another man money and, and, and because this man had done work for him. And this man had money. And the man that did work for him had very little money. I remember the guy telling him, hey, hey, come back. Come back next week and, and I'll pay you. And I kind of asked the guy, I said, why would you do that? And he said, I don't want the guy running on my money. I'd rather run on his money. And I immediately thought of this principle. Here is a man with money taking advantage of someone without money. You know who will not do that? Someone that practices the first greatest commandment. Because if you practice the first greatest commandment, the Lord teaches you how to treat people in the second greatest commandment. And so we look here and, and notice in verse 14, even those that, that would be disabled. What, what about if somebody's deaf? What about if somebody is blind? How would you treat them? And, and he says, you're not going to mistreat them, in other words. And you pause there and say, why? And he says, I'm the Lord your God. In some settings, and, and I realize there's some that are deaf and there's some that are blind that have excelled and, and, and they do not need anyone to help them out. But do you see the principle that the Lord is giving here? The principle that he's giving is that in, so, in society, there will always be those around you that are weaker, that those that are stronger could take advantage of. And you know what? Societies always do that. Christians don't. Those that are disciples of the Lord do not take advantage of those that are weak. Instead, they stand up and they become the voice and the strength for those that are weak. Why? Because I was just born such a good person. No, because of who our God is. We have devoted ourselves to the one God of Israel. Look at verse 15. Do, does no injustice, is not partial to the poor. Uh, look at 16. Does not go about as a talebearer among your people. Shall not take a stand against the life of your neighbor. In other words, don't do things that endangers your neighbor. Why would we not do all that? Why would we not be partial? Why would we not be prejudiced? Let's pause here for just a moment because this is a great application that, that this just might really seal it up so far as, as just really making application. Have you ever noticed that by birth, very, very few people, I don't know of anybody, by birth is prejudiced. 
How do we become prejudiced? We usually become prejudiced because of the family we're born into. A first grader is not prejudiced unless his mom and dad's been prejudiced. A first grader that's not prejudiced is because their mom and dad has not been prejudiced. You put a first grader in the wrong community and they can become prejudiced. You put a first grader in the right community, they will not be prejudiced. Now, let's imagine this. A little school like I grew up in where everybody knew your parents and your grandparents because nobody moved out of the county. You were born there and you lived there and you died there and generations before you and after. You know what I heard constantly when I was in school? Well, I know when I was in school, I constantly heard my teachers talk about my grandparents. Now, just imagine this scenario. Imagine if I went in and I started saying or doing something that betrayed prejudice behavior. You know what my first grade teacher would say? My first grade teacher, number one, she would do what she did on a regular basis, and that would be just pull those small hair in the back of my neck and just tear me up. And, and so first she would do that, and then next she would probably get out her wooden paddle, and she would probably light me up, and then I know beyond any shadow of doubt what Miss Wary would have said to me. She would have said, David, I know your grandparents on both sides of your family. I know your mother and father. That is not behavior that you should be doing. Where did that come from? Who's your spiritual father? Do you realize the first greatest commandment, the first greatest commandment is the opportunity for you and I to be adopted into the father's family. And then the way we treat everyone should reflect the first commandment. And that's why it's the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. And when we, when we get frustrated and, and, and we mistreat someone, we're, we did not learn that from our Father, the first grace commandment. When we show actions that are prejudiced, we didn't learn that from, from our Heavenly Father. When, when we lose our temper and, and we mistreat someone, we didn't learn that from our Heavenly Father. Look at verse 17. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor. Now that's interesting, isn't it? See, he's saying if you really love your neighbor and your neighbor's doing wrong, you're going to love them enough to talk to them about it. You're going to love them enough to rebuke them and urge them to turn to the way of righteousness. Look at 18. You shall not take vengeance. Now why would we do all of this? Look how this concludes in 18. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. I am the Lord your God. Isn't that interesting the way it ends? It's almost like he says, I've given you a lot of practical things here. He says, let me sum it up like this. Just love your neighbor as you love yourself. But remember the standard even for that. The standard is, I am the Lord your God. Remember how he started this chapter? He started this chapter by saying, I am holy, you be holy. I'm the Lord your God, I am holy. You be children of the Lord, you be holy also. Lord, how would we do that? How would we be holy like that? And he would say, the way you love others. Friends, do you realize when we do this, we leave a mark of identity that constantly shows the world that we belong to Jesus. 
the first and second greatest commandment. They're not options. They're wonderful principles to guide our life. What I learned today. Number one, I learned that Christians' love for others is their mark of identity. Number two, I learned we can't fulfill the second commandment without obeying the first commandment. Number three, I learned who constantly loves those who mistreat them. Only those who love God with all of their being. Think about the first century and the Christian martyrs. Think about Stephen when he was about to die. Remember when he looked up to the heavens, one of the things he said was, Father, forgive them. Who does that? Will you take and think about that this afternoon? Who wishes well on them that hurts them? Like just think about Stephen. Who does that? Only those who practice the first and second commandment. Number four, Jesus interlocked the first two commandments. What I learned today, number five, if loving God doesn't change the way we love others, then we really don't love God with all of our heart, our soul, and our strength. This morning, we've been thinking about great expectations. What does God expect? He expects us to choose Him. And once we've chosen Him, He expects us to love all. And we say, well, what is that? What does that love all mean? First, love only God, only one God, and love Him with all of our being. But then He expects us to love all others, even our enemies. This morning, if we can help you move closer to God, to move to the God that does have wonderful expectations of us, the God that wants to mold us into something that naturally we would never be, if we can assist you, if we can help you, we'd love and be honored to have the opportunity to do so. If you're ready to be immersed into Christ, you're a believer willing to repent of sins and confess before men that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, we would be honored to baptize you into Christ this morning. Maybe you've begun that journey and along the way you, you've lost sight of maybe the first or the second or both of those commandments. And you want to come back this morning and you want to devote yourself completely to God and then love others as yourself. If we